Mr. Speaker. Oh yes, it's time to get political. It's Friday. It's eight thirty. That means I'm joined by uh, John Moore and Dr. Phil Ferguson. Unfortunately, uh, Sarah Martin could not make it today. Morena to you both. Good morning, Kiora. How are Marina we, Jamie? Good. Uh, yeah, bloody brilliant. It's um, well, it's been a what a weird week it's been yes. for many reasons. State of emergency <laughs> in Dunedin yesterday. That's right. That's right. I don't. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, did they need to call a state of emergency? It seemed like they did it quite early, and there was a lot of surface flooding around. I think it's probably just going to be a state of emergency for Fort and Hogan uh, <laughs> and uh, and in Cull again. Uh, for I guess I'm playing it safe just in case anything happened in South Dunedin again. Yeah. Well, and it did, but it seems to me like I, I would have thought our stormwater system would be able to handle that amount of rain, but obviously not. And mm. it's becoming a, a yearly event now, so they're going to have to do something about it. Yes, maybe yeah. they should have voted in Lee Vandivis as mayor. Um, he was going to sort it out. Oh, no yeah. more flooding? No more flooding, of course. He would have just gone down there and sucked it all up himself <laughs> and blown out a lot of bloody hot water and hot, hot air. Um, anyway, let's move on to what's really happening in the world. World. Chloe Swarbrick, well, that is happening, but Chloe Swarbrick's bill on medical cannabis was voted down in a conscience vote. Was it really a conscience vote? Uh, 73-47. All the Nets and NZ first against it. Still a parliament that's out of touch with its constituents and reality on this issue. What did the bill say? Yeah, so um, Chloe's bill was basically to liberalise the use of marijuana for um, medicinal purposes. Mm. Uh even to the extent of being able to grow your own marijuana um, for medicinal purposes. Um, and this is in contrast to a government bill that, uh, that has actually um, passed its first reading. Um, so um, the government's bill, in contrast, will only allow the use of marijuana for um, people who are terminally ill, so who are going to die within 12 months. I'm not sure what happens if you're going to die within two years or a year and a half if you <laughs> can get prosecuted. So... Yeah. Um, so that the government's bill is likely to pass. Uh, there's no strong opposition from it within Parliament or in general civil society. Um, uh, even Grey Power um, and I believe Family First are supporting the government's more restrictive uh, liberalisation bill. Uh, but Chloe Swartbrick's bill uh, didn't pass. Uh, it was a conscience vote, which means technically every MP um, doesn't have to abide by um, the whips of their um, party to mm. vote the party way. However, the fact that every single national MP and New Zealand first MP voted against the first reading of Chloe's bill would indicate that there, there was pressure on those MPs mm. to vote uh, against the bill. And yeah, it does point to polls have shown that uh, New Zealand as a whole are for uh, liberalisation of marijuana um, laws, especially around um, medical use, and this really does show that um, Parliament at this time is more conservative, or is acting more conservative than the general population. Mm. Um, that might be for several re reasons, including just opportunistic reasons that MPs uh, perceive that um, older people are more conservative and older people are more likely to vote. Uh, 
younger people, yes, are more liberal on these issues, but are less likely to vote. So it could be pure opportunism on the part of these of the national that they want to hold on to the, their older constituency. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that, that in itself is quite interesting for me because I would have thought it was probably a hell of a lot of the older constituency would, would be wanting to use the cannabis as a pain relief, although a lot of them might not want to touch it because it's been historically... You know, negative connotations, especially when they were growing up with the big cannabis scare, and like, oh, don't, no, you end up being a bloody, you know, naughty, naughty human. But um, the other yeah, thing, but yeah, most people over sixty in New Zealand would have smoked dope. Oh, <laughs> that's the, we're talking about the sixties, early seventies generation. Yeah, you know, most people in their sixties and seventies would have had a puff when they were young. Oh dear, I'll probably. But this is this is this is the thing for me. You know, cannabis is easy to get as a cup of coffee these days, or almost as much so. Oh. As, you know, you know, um, <laughs> you know. So too many ill people growing a couple of plants is not going to widen the black market either. Um, and you know, the conspiracy theorist in me says, um, every, go, "Parliament's all for this." One or the government's bill because you know um, they're going to, you know, who's going to be controlling the cannabis, the flow of cannabis? It's going to be big pharma, you know, and, and big <coughs> big pharma does not want people to be growing plants at home because you know they're not going to be able to sell their overly expensive products, mm. which are costing a hell of a lot of money for something that's very cheap and economical to grow. Yeah, medicinal uh, cannabis uh, can be very expensive. Yeah, are oh, very expensive, mm. and and have started to be prescribed by doctors then, um, and, and subsidised by the state, then that would be a, a cost to the uh, general public. Mm, mm, mm. So, yeah, you're right, Chloe's Fortbrook's bill would have allowed for people to, to grow for their own personal use in terms of uh, medical use, uh, which would, yeah, cut out the pharmaceutical companies. So I don't think there's mm. a conspiracy there. I'm sure pharmaceutical companies are... Uh, um, very aware that there's potential new markets for them with the liberalisation of drugs Without in general throughout and, the world. And, they've, and Phil, they've seen those uh, markets in the places like America and in Australia uh, dry up for them because they have a lot more liberal laws and they do have, um, you know, just in America you could just go down the road to a pharmacy and buy your dope. Yeah, and uh, the cost of um, having prescribed uh, medical marijuana what is it, about $1200 a month mm. so obviously um, it, it makes sense to the population as a whole to have people growing a bit in their backyard or their glass house or you know their spare room <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or, or wherever but it's an interesting sign isn't it of how the public lead and the politicians follow Eventually, yeah, you know um, that the weight of public opinion is that it's a good idea, and that it's terrible that old people, um, or not just old people, I shouldn't say just old people, you know, um, because we're young people who are and middle-aged people who are in chronic pain as well. Um, so most of the population don't want to see people suffer unnecessary mm. when there's a simple solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the politicians just follow way behind public opinion, like they did on, you know, the um, legalisation of homosexuality, like they have on abortion, like mm-hmm. they have on all those kinds of issues, and they have these so-called conscience votes, which I think are complete. I think conscience votes are wrong. You have a party position; people vote yes or no on it. And the people who are elected to the party, you know, they should 
go along with that with that that position. So using this party vote thing, yeah, a majority of, of the MPs have voted against it. And like you say, um, you know, what's gonna happen in the end? Is it gonna be available eventually by um, through prescription with big pharma mm-hmm. um, companies, big pharma, uh, pharmaceutical companies, you know, making a mint out of it. And the government getting its tax cut. And the cut government too. getting a, getting a tax cut out of that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it seems uh, very backwards and illogical for just, me. Just to um, throw in a counter-argument there, I'm personally all for the legalisation of marijuana and, and, and actually all drugs. I think the, um, the Portugal mo- model has shown that um, mm. purely just liberalising drug laws doesn't lead to... Uh, uh, rapid uh, rise in the use of drugs. However, I, I believe that the marijuana lobby, the pro-marijuana lobby, does exaggerate the medicinal uses mm. of marijuana. Um, the, the science is, is still out in terms of how effective it is in terms of use as a pain relief. And there are um, opiates, uh, morphine, for example, are still seen as, as more effective drugs, despite all the problems with opiates, but are still seen as more effective drugs to deal with a large number of issues related to pain. And there are some negative side effects with the use of marijuana as well, especially with people with mental health problems. Mm. Uh, it, it, there are cases where it can bring on degrees of uh, psychosis with a minority of the population. So, um, yes, um, I think... Uh, uh, um, uh, there should be more thorough research of the use of marijuana as a, for its medicinal uses. And personally, I believe it just should be legalised anyway. It's a, it's a personal choice whether you use it. But I do believe the marijuana lobby often sort of presents marijuana as this magic drug <laughs> that has no negative effects mm. and it sort of cures everything yeah. and uh, uh, puts you into a bliss state and uh, no one commits crime on marijuana, blah, 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 unlike the evils of al- alcohol or opiates, etc. So... I think, um, yeah, we need a more honest uh, debate when we're talking about how this drug should be used for medicinal purposes. Mm-hmm. It should be science-based. Yeah, I think there's a lot of research out there, and I, th- and I do think that um, you're right with, with the cannabis lobbyists, but I think it, it's proven uh, in a lot of ways, and we're not just talking about pain. I think pain's a very small thing with it, within this. I think a lot of it's um, discomfort more than intense pain, uh, but you've got um, stopping seizures. There's many different uses, um, things that this cannabis has kind of been proven to actually help with um so in that respect um i think there's a huge market for it um and and a huge need and the fact that they just want to do it on people that are uh, you know 12 months left of living is a bit backwards and a bit ridiculous um you know even if you know, maybe maybe in that case for growing it, I think might be a good idea. But in terms of being able to get it prescribed to you, I think it should be at the doctor's discretion, and it shouldn't be like, oh, well, this person actually needs it. Oh, they're not dying. It shouldn't be like just because they're dying. It's like, oh, well, this kid's having seizures, um, yeah, and, and nothing nothing is helping. Yeah. yeah, I think one of the benefits of um, actually going much wider with the reform is that. Some doctors may well be, you know, more conservative, socially conservative doctors may well be reluctant to prescribe it. You know, they don't worry about prescribing morphine. No, oh, there'll be all, yeah, <laughs> and so all over the show. But there'll be, you know, but there'll be a sort of um, a tendency on the part of some doctors possibly not to um, prescribe it. And that's a benefit of, of allowing people to, to grow their own. Um, and... It's weird, isn't it? Like this thing about individual rights. 
The National Party are very big on individual rights, and yet when it comes to a really, really important individual individual right and mm-hmm. choice, they're suddenly against it. Yeah. Like, where does individual choice fit in here? I don't... I, I well, don't. it doesn't... Yeah, yeah, it's a rhetorical <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and the thing you were talking about, all drugs before, and how the, the Portugal model's really working, and the other thing is with, you know, tests they're doing with MDMA and even ketamine here at the hospital, you know, people being treated um, for severe depression with ketamine at Otago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, MDMA's been used in Switzerland and a lot of different places for years for, for depression. Um, there is um, scientific evidence to back um, the use of psilocybin, which is the active ingredient within magic mushrooms for depression as well and, and other things that work really really well um, and, and you know and, and this is things we should all really be looking at I mean you know they're going in the Amazonian jungle all the time and looking at plants and trying to get new drugs out of those and why can't we use ones that we know are there and how to use but somehow because they have been illegal for so many years there's some kind of taboo on it mm. yeah. yeah backward morality mm. is, is coming into play here rather than um, uh, hard science mm. um, and it's all rather absurd when we think about that as I said before, one of the most widely used uh, forms of drugs for pain relief are opiates. Yeah. So we're basically talking about uh, uh, drugs that are uh, pretty similar to heroin. I, I mean, I, <laughs> and I had a professor in here from um, from Yale the other day. We were talking about the ocean, talking about the, what's happening in America. He's the the coroner for um, for Connecticut. The, the, the right, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the opiate crisis. Yeah, we were talking about the opioid crisis in America, and it's not just America where that's happening. Mm. And, you know, um, and, and yet they're still sending it out by the buttload. Mm. Uh, and there's mm. plenty of states in the states that still don't allow someone with chronic pain to smoke a joint. Yeah, but that's the opiates are produced by big private companies. Big pharma. And that's by big pharma. And mm. so that, that somehow makes it okay. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Oh, and, and, well, I mean, because they've got a lot of money to spend. Yeah. So, hey, look, you want to get back in? Yeah. Here's your ticket, mate. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a big old opioid. Um, yeah, it's a bit ridiculous. Um, so the, the two bills, they differ um, quite substantially. Um, and it does look like, like you said, that um, Labor's one is going to get through. But I wonder what it does mean for the future. Um and, and, and is it going to really work, or is, is, is this, and is this a positive step to to more liberalisation? Well, I think it's a problem that we've actually got two bills dealing with the same issue, um, medicinal use, and we've got another bill on the other uh, side being uh, voted on. Yeah, Bill being, English. Yes, <laughs> being voted on at the same time. So there's an argument that if the government hadn't been um, pushing through its more moderate bill, that we would have got a, um, a higher vote uh, for. Chloe Swarbrick's bill mm-hmm. that, that MPs uh, can basically say well okay her, her, her bill is a bit too liberal but we're still um, supporting the use of marijuana for medicinal purposes because we voted for the, the government's bill. Yeah. So it's, it, it can be used as a cop out on the, yeah. on the part of, um, of politicians. Um, there is going to be a referendum though on, yes. on, on the issue of marijuana which is part of the um, agreement coalition agreement um, between the Greens and um, and Labour. So I think that's coming to, I can't remember the exact date, I think it's coming up um, maybe 2020, there'll, there'll be a referendum. <laughs> so it's still a fair way off. Yes it is. Uh, so Labour's arrangement with the Green promises a referendum by 2020 election to decide whether the personal use of cannabis should be legal. So how far 
um, that referendum will call for liberalising the use of marijuana, I'm not sure, mm. but it seems to go beyond just mere uh, medicinal use of marijuana, but will tackle the question of, of personal use. Is of it going to be a well. non-binding or a binding referendum? That's, I believe it's a non-binding referendum. They're all non-binding, aren't they? Well, oh, you can referendums can be binding. Oh, so the yeah. MMP, so we, we have first past the post yeah. MMP, that was, yeah, was a, a, a binding um, referendum that legislation had been put. Legislation could be put in place to say the result of this referendum has to be passed okay. into law. Of course, Parliament is sovereign, um, um, so Parliament can also change the law and say no, we've changed our mind. We're not going to enact this referendum. But well, I mean, by yeah. then we could have a new government in power anyway. Yeah. So uh, yeah. who knows? Who knows? I mean, they could even just scrap. Uh, and, and you know, that, that's actually going to be probably quite a good tool coming up to that uh, 2020 election mm-hmm. uh, for for the Nats and and like saying, you know, look at the, what's coming up. Don't vote for the Greens. This bloody referenda, mm-hmm. you know, they could go through, and your next door neighbour could be smoking dope and stealing your stereo. And I think that the <laughs> pro marijuana or pro liberalisation lobby should be aware that the anti marijuana lobby is is going to play really hard. And is going to be able to use some data that's come out in the last year or two showing that, in some cases, liberalisation of marijuana does lead to um, an increase in the use, the uptake of marijuana, and there's, there's studies. It's hard to say what the correlation is, but there's studies that have shown areas that have liberalised marijuana, homelessness has increased, crime has increased, um, um, etc., etc. So it's hard to know if mm. there's a direct correlation there. Well, I can tell you that wasn't Colorado. Yes, mm. but it's uh, it's yeah. I think we have to be aware that there's going to be a, a pretty full-on debate about this issue. Mm. So when you look at Portugal, it's interesting in Portugal, yes, the liberalisation of so-called hard drugs hasn't led to an uptake, but maybe that's just because the general population in the West doesn't really want to use heroin and, and more <laughs> hard drugs, whereas uh, marijuana is a more popular drug, so possibly um, uh, you do get a greater uptake with liberalisation mm. of marijuana. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you could argue that it's not a, a drug that's detrimental to the society, it's not necessarily a bad thing if there is an uptake, mm-hmm. and maybe it has a flow-on effect that there's uh, uh, people turn away from more harder drugs, or maybe they end up drinking less alcohol. Who knows? There's yeah, a whole lot yeah. of factors at play. Because yeah. if you bring in alcohol, like you can say, oh, well, having alcohol legally available makes more people alcoholics and, and Certainly creates causes more, more crime. And, it's, yeah. and causes more crime. Yeah, but, you know, who wants to make alcohol illegal? No one. No one. But they should. <laughs> yeah. Probably yeah. should um, that in worked, the 20th century. That worked well. We better, we better move along because... Um, we have uh, talked about that for a long time, but it'll be interesting to see what comes out of that. And uh, you know, just smoke weed every day. Uh, not that I do; I don't smoke at all. Um, but that's all right. I bother me. It just doesn't feel good. Uh, anyway, uh, read, there was a poll out. We were going to talk about something else, but we're going to talk about the poll. Um, the results uh, of a new poll. Uh, Labor's gone up a bit. Nationals come down a bit. Jacinda Ardern. Everybody's loving her. Yeah, I think that's exaggerated because, uh, <laughs> of course, Labour is on 42... Well, Labour's on 42.3%, Nationals on 44.5%. So that's a big upsurge for mm. Labour by 5.4%. But National is still the most popular party out mm. of all the parties. So it's interesting that if we compare it to the um, the last National Government when they first came to power, uh, yeah, there, there was majority support. 
uh, overwhelming support for John Key at least. Yeah. Uh, that that sort of um, key mania <laughs> uh, seemed more significant than the Jacinda mania at the moment. And there's arguments of why that is. Why haven't we, why haven't we with this whole Jacinda mania phenomena, um, with the government rolling out um, pr- progressive policies that we can expect will be popular amongst a large part of the electorate? Why aren't they more popular? Why aren't they surging ahead of national? And one argument is that from Chris Trotter uh, this week is that um, people were locked into this first past the post mentality. Uh, the, the, the fact that the National Party is pushing out this idea that they should be the legitimate governing mm. party because they're the most popular party in terms of, of current polling and in terms of the election has made people sceptical of the current Labour-led government. Mm. Now, um, I, I would completely argue against that position that National uh, are the legitimate uh, governing party because Definitely. the fact is that the majority of people who voted uh, voted for either Labour, Green or New Zealand First uh, who make up the government. So um, the majority of people who voted for the current governing parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so And there's an argument that... Um, were voting for Labour, either Labour, Green or New Zealand First, that actually people did vote for a change of government as well. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I think there, there, there is an argument that um, people are still locked into their old first-past-the-post mentality. I mean, is it a, is it a fact, um, Phil, that in New Zealand we have one right, well, con- so-called conservative right-wing party they don't have many friends we don't have hard right parties over here mm-hmm. uh, or, or any other kind of support parties around it but you've got a left that's kind of fractured um, you've got a left that um, some are, are quite far left and there's a party that they can kind of support in, in the Greens and then you've got the centre ground left um, which is a, you know not a bad base as well um, so really um, while yes they are the biggest party they're, on, they're the only party of significance on that side of the spectrum Yes, that's right. They benefit from their not being anybody to their to their right. I think the problem with Chris Trotter's argument is that, okay, if you look at the percentages from this latest poll, it's very, very first past the post. Mm. But we've had MMP for a quarter of a century. Yeah. Is he really saying, oh, people still think in MM in first past the post terms? Because I don't. I, I don't. Well, how think much they of the population's would. only grown up in an MMP that, exactly. environment? Exactly. Yeah. If you take anybody under under say what 40, 45, 45 they will never have have voted in an uh, first past the post government. Yeah. So I don't. I think what he's doing is just looking at the figures and saying, well, that's very first past the post, which it is. But that's not an explanation. That's just a that's a, a, a description. Well, if the poll said, and who would be your second preferred party? You know, who would yeah. be your preferred coalition partner with your main party? Then you yeah. can kind of look at it in the lines yeah. of a poll, making it out like an MMP in a poll. But if, it, if it's just yeah. who's it, yeah, sorry. it is it is still very interesting though, because if you look at what at what's happened in New Zealand, we have this is probably the most um, first past the post set of figures in what since maybe 1990 mm. it's probably the most first past the post figures um yeah in 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 30 30 years and what's what's happened is that if you look at the combined national and labor that's almost 87% mm. of of you know of of the population 
And even you know, in the 70s and, and 80s, when we had first passed the post, you had social credit. National and yeah. Labor never got yeah. 87, 87% of the <laughs> of support. We, you know, um, uh, uh, back then, in fact, it's probably... I don't know. It might even go back to the 1940s or the 1950s. Well, it's obviously a lot of New Zealand First uh, team leaving, mm. leaving there and going back to national, uh, perhaps, or oh, um, because yeah. you know they're punishing, punishing uh, a winnie for going with Labour. Yeah. yeah, either they're punishing uh, Winnie for going for Labour, and of course yeah. there's going to be at least a, a minority of New Zealand First supporters who would have wanted New Zealand First to go with national. I think there's also an argument that uh, New Zealand First and Winston Peters' support of the TPP uh, would, would have hurt them uh, in terms of support um, amongst traditional voters in New Zealand First as well. New Zealand First runs on a... Uh, on a pre-election anyway, runs on a hard nationalist, anti-globalist line, a la Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, however, when New Zealand First and Winston Peters ever get a, uh, a slice of power, they tend to be uh, a lot more opportunistic and a lot more moderate. But nonetheless, New Zealand First did campaign very hard against the TPP and they've traditionally campaigned against these so-called um, um, free trade uh, agreements be- between major states in the world. So the fact that um, um, uh, not only has New Zealand First indicated they'll support the new TPP, but Winston Peters actually went over to Vietnam and was a major player in those mm-hmm. negotiations. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't have any hard data on this because I don't believe people would be polled and New Zealand First uh, supporters haven't been polled, but um, I'd imagine it must have hurt them. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But we've... Uh, I was thinking about this while I was waiting for the bus this morning um, about these. So you had a lot of time, didn't you? I had a lot of time. <laughs> and bus was so late. Um, yeah, I was thinking about these uh, about these figures, and I, actually, I was trying to think like New Zealand politics have been dominated by National and Labour. You could say since the eighteen nineties, like National was mm. the Liberals and the Reform Party, and they go back then. Labour goes back to to nineteen sixteen. We've got a remarkably conservative electoral um, setup, a mar- remarkably conservative parliament that has been broken a couple of times. So the f- fourth Labour government, and then being followed by the fourth national government and the whole new right economic reforms, that kind of knocked a big hole in that. So you had the alliance in New Zealand first and ACT as well, mm-hmm. you know, emerging, and then you had little spikes for. Peter Dunn's party in one election and so yep. on. But we have a remarkably stable electoral system and I don't know what you know, and I don't know what it's gonna to take to, to, to shake it up a whole lot more. But we've got two mainstream dominant parties and the I think the Greens have got a kind of perma, pretty much a permanent place in, in mm. Parliament because they there's a br- they're a brand. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's uh, in, on environmental issues and and on social liberalism. They're, yeah. they're a brand. New Zealand First kind of comes in and in and out. Well, and it's winning anyway. What's mm. and, and it's winning. So. Yeah, and will Shane Jones keep them going? Once yeah, Winnie's retired. <laughs> yeah, um, so we've reverted um, back, and even if you look at. Uh, the Greens, so you could say it's a three-party system. Well, in the 60s, 70s and 80s, it was a three-party system. It was just that first-past-the-post kept social credit out of oh, power. They got, what, 20%? Yeah, they, they got over 20% yeah, yeah, over yeah, one yeah. year, and they got about one seat or something. I think there is an argument that um, 
uh, yeah, that conservatism within the electorate or within the makeup of our parliament that yeah that are dominated still by uh, National and Labour, and that we don't see new parties coming in. So, for example, Gareth Morgan's party top uh, failed uh, to get party. into an internet party. Of course, <laughs> one reason um, there's a thesis that was put out. Um, well, actually, Dr. Bryce Edwards who used to be on this show. His PhD uh, looked at where. Uh, the major parties get their funding from, uh, how they're able to push themselves and their message out into the electorate. And most of their funding, surprisingly, doesn't come from big business, doesn't come from trade unions, doesn't come from civil society. It comes from um, parliament itself, parliamentary services. Yeah. That basically the major parties have uh, um, stitched things up in terms of that the parties that are in Parliament and the parties that have the most MPs in Parliament get huge amounts of cash yeah. from the state. Yeah. Uh, uh, officially, this cash is just meant to, uh, say, support the, um, the, the, the day-to-day um, activities of, say, the Prime Minister with his or her staff, um, uh, general MPs, and it's me- not meant to be used for party political work. However, it, it is. Yeah. It is. So um, it's a stitch-up that the, the parties in power, in, in terms of being in Parliament, have basically created an environment where um, parties that have MPs get huge amounts of cash from the state, which is from us, the taxpayer, um, and therefore parties that are outside of Parliament or parties that have less seats in Parliament um, have far less access, or if not no access, to state money. Um, so, yeah, in a sense, it, it's a bit of a corrupt stitch-up, really. Yeah. yeah, well, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you both for coming in this morning. It's always a pleasure. Oh, sure. Up next is news.